Turn in your Bible to two passages, our keynote verses for this series, Living the Life, uh, John 10 and Acts 17. John 10, everyone say John 10 and Acts 17. You can turn there. I want you, the reason I want you to turn there, I want you to see it in your Bible. In fact, many people are using electronic Bibles. I get it. It's fine. It's cool. Uh, I love the paper. Uh, I can't figure out my Bible app uh, uh, very well. Uh, so I'll, I should I should go to school, but if, however you want to do it, I want you to get these two passages of Scripture. The keynote verse that we began with, everybody say, living the life, is John 10.10. 10. It says this. I want us to read it out loud together, everyone. Let's read it out loud and proud. The thief does not come except for to... I have come that they might have, and they may have it. More abundantly. That's mega abundance, a mega abounding. God, the life, hey, listen, the life that God has for you here on this planet. A lot of people look, well, one of these days when the angel Gabriel blows his horn, I'll go up in the air and I'll be with the Lord forevermore. Hallelujah. And you, you know, until then, let me tell you something. Jesus wants us to have abundant life in this life. And it has nothing to do with your pocketbook. It got really quiet there because y'all are thinking I'm about to become a prosperity preacher. I am a prosperity preacher. I'm certainly not a poverty preacher. But I don't make that the cornerstone of what I share. But listen, God does want to bless you financially. But listen, spiritual life or abundant life. In fact, this word life has nothing to do with tangible things. It has everything to do with our spiritual life. He said, I want your spiritual life to be abundant, to live life. What I've come to do is give you spiritual life and give it to you more abundantly. Everybody say amen. And so that's our keynote verse, and that's what God's plan for us and all of humanity is. But we looked and we realized a few weeks back that humanity, had, there's a global God problem in the world, and that global God problem is the reality that sin has separated us from God, all right? We've all been, we're all sinners. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just a natural born sinner. You really are. Preston, I don't want to pop your mama's bubble, but you're just a natural born sinner. I, I know she probably thinks you're perfect. Perfect, no, but we're all born in sin, the Bible says, and in sin did our mother conceive us. And as a result, we're separated from God. That's why Jesus came. I love these two verses I gave you the first Sunday. We talked about this. Genesis 2, 17. Jesus told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely what? Die. If you fast forward to the end of the book, when we're in heaven, it says this in Revelation chapter, oh, let's see, 21, I'm looking at my notes, 21, 4, and there shall be no more what? Death. And we learned this about, about the whole Bible. Listen, the whole Bible is to get humanity back in right relationship with God. And I gave you this statement. Everything between the Garden of Eden and the glory of eternity, both past, present, and future, has been for the global God goal of raising that which is dead back to life. You see, we were dead spiritually. Sin separated us from God. Our spirits were dead. Jesus came. He said, the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
And so that's what Jesus came to do. And then we, we talked a little bit a couple of Sundays ago about the, the fact that the thief does come to steal, kill, and destroy. I told you this. I don't think it's in your PowerPoint notes, but it says this. I said this victory over the devil on a daily basis has so much more to do with how we live our daily lives than it does with what we say with our lips. Victory is worked out, uh, victory over the devil is worked out by the way we live our life, not with just saying, I rebuke you devil. And we looked at the fact that if you say, I rebuke you devil, well, you're not living the life that he has for you to live. It's going to backfire on you. How many of you don't want that backfiring on you? Okay. So with that in mind, last week we looked at Acts 17. Are you there? If you're there, say I'm there. One person. Acts 17, verse 28a, just that first one little phrase, in him we live and move and have our being. Let's say it together. In him we live and move and have our being. Say it again, Acts 17, 28a, in him we live and move and have our being. The him is Jesus. You see Christ in us, the life of God within us. And so with that scripture as the keynote verse last week, we began to look at the life of the giver of life. We began to look, I just got started and and I kind of gave you an introduction. So for last week, this week, and next week, we're going to look at the life of the giver of life. He is a role model to follow. He's someone to model your life after. If you want to know how to live life and live the abundant life, Live like Jesus lived, following his footsteps, and you'll begin to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for you. Amen? Everyone say, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now, last week I gave you two overarching insights to the life of Christ, and they are these. Here's the first one. He lived his life with clarity of the reason. He knew why he was here. He had a purpose and a plan in life. Sadly, most believers don't live their life with clarity of purpose and reason. They, 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 they're, they're still trying to answer the age-old question. What's been the age-old question? Uh, why in the world am I here? What, what in the world am I here for? Who am I and why am I here? And people have been asking that. Jesus came to give us clarity of the reason and Jesus lived with a sense of great clarity. He knew his life on planet earth was temporary and he had a purpose and a plan in mind and that he came, he was born to what? He was born to die and give his life a ransom for many. But then he also knew he would be raised up so we too could have newness of life. And so that's why he came to give us life, to bring God and man back into right relationship. And he lived his life. And let me just pause and say, I just got to re-preach it for a second. If you don't know who you are in Christ and why in the world you're here, you need to begin to seek the giver of life and ask him for his divine purpose and reason for your being. In him, we live and move and have our being. No wonder the book, The Purpose Driven Life, has been globally successful. The, the, the highest uh, selling book in the history of the world other than the Bible. It ought to tell you something. People are in, trying to find out, who am I and why am I here? What's my purpose? Jesus lived with a sense of purpose and destiny. He had great clarity of the reason. And I want to ask you today, do you know why in the world you're here for? Some of you don't even know why you're here in church this morning. Oh, I don't know why. 
And then number two, Jesus lived his life not only with clarity of the reason, he lived his life with clarity of the season. He, he lived with a sense of destiny and purpose every day of his life. And he, he told his disciples, he began to tell them early on, he said, from this time, you need to know that Jesus is going to come and he, uh, that, pardon me, that I'm going to die and I'm going to pay a price. And he was, he understood not only his purpose, but he knew the season. In fact, Jesus, really, all we really know other than just a few little nit, uh, nuggets about his birth and about uh, his one little instance in his childhood, uh, the whole, all the New Testament is basically from the time Jesus was baptized until he rose again and ascended to the Father. Three years. And so in that three-year period, he began to live not only with the clarity of the reason, he always knew the clarity of the, he always knew the reason, but then he began to move into his season. Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he knew I'm walking into my season. Listen, God has a season for us to step up to the plate and fulfill his kingdom purpose. You don't know how long you have on planet earth. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't know, you don't have, you don't know how long you'll be on planet earth. We don't, we don't know. We have no sense of understanding. Uh, 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 Prince had no insight how close he was to death. He, knew, he wouldn't even stay in the hospital. And a few days later, he died. They found him in an elevator dead. He didn't, man, if you, if he had known that in just a few days, I'm going to meet my maker, he would have stayed in the hospital. He would have stayed in bed with whoever. I don't care if I have a private room or not. Hey, put me out in the hall. I need somebody to help me for goodness sake. He didn't have that understanding. We all, we all have one life. To live. And so Jesus lived that way. And then I began, I've got seven, what I'll call uh, insights into the life of Jesus, the the giver of life, some insights into how he lived his life. And uh, I only gave you one last week, and I'm going to give you three more. But the one I gave you is this. Jesus lived a lifestyle of sanctity. He stayed holy and righteous before God. You say, yeah, but he was the son of God. The Bible says he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And so if you want to live the life that he has for you, you got to realize that Jesus who lives on the inside of you knows how to say nope to dope. Hello. Jesus who lives on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit that abides within us. Uh, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, the ability to apply God's strength into your life within, under any given circumstance at any given time to be able to resist sin and say yes to Christ and stay holy and righteous before Him. Hebrews 4.15, He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And, and what was, I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it again, uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon him there in the River Jordan. In fact, Beverly, did you ever get, you didn't get baptized in the River Jordan. I should have baptized you in the River Jordan. You didn't do that? Amy, were you baptized in the River Jordan? I was. Jeremy, did you, we baptize you? I knew Jeremy. There's a brave soul back there. It's cold in the River Jordan, by the way. If you get baptized in the River Jordan, you just want to do it real quick. Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. 
the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And man, and John the Revelator said, Behold the Lamb of God. There's the purpose. Who takes away the sins of the whole world. And then the Holy Spirit has come upon Jesus. Oh, it's grand and glorious. He's entering his full-time ministry now. He knows his reason. He knows his season. And the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. The Holy Spirit, first thing he said, okay, first thing we're going to have to deal with is your flesh. I know you're all God, but you've still got flesh. You're not going to eat anything for 40 days. Hello. The devil came to him and tempted him. And he overcame the devil so much so the devil finally said, get out of here. And he left him. And he was victorious. He lived a life of sanctity. Amen. Holiness and righteousness. Whew, there's all the intro. Everybody go, whew, that's a big intro there. But I'm a firm believer that we forget a lot. In fact, anybody want to tell me all about last week, even after I already gave you a reminder? No, it's because we tend to forget. That's why I'm rehearsing a few things this morning. So Jesus lived a life of sanctity. Number two this morning, here's some new stuff. Here, Here you go if you're taking notes. He not only lived a lifestyle of sanctity, but he lived a lifestyle of serving and service. In fact, what does the Bible say about Jesus? In Matthew 20, 28, it says, The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man has not come. This is what Jesus said. The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. How many of you love good service? Two people. How many of you love good service? No, I know what you're thinking. I, I hate bad service, right? Yeah, that's the way you want to come at it. Yeah, I just hate bad service. Well, you, hey, that's what tipping's all about. Uh, you tip good service. People love good service. And, the, and, and let me just throw, let me, and you want to put the pause button? Here we go. Everybody get your pause button out. Let's pause. Boom. Did you know some of the worst tippers on Sunday are, or really any day of the week? Christian folk going out to eat. It's a truth. When you go out to eat on Sunday, you know what your waiter and waitress are thinking? Oh, here come those Christians again. Those stingy guts. We're going to fix, we need to fix that. Okay, you can take the pause button back off. That's just my little insight there. People love good service. How many of you know what? Jesus was a great servant. He was always serving. In fact, one of the, anybody remember the first recorded miracle that Jesus did? Anybody remember the first recorded miracle Jesus did? If you did, he turned the, water into wine and that was an act of service in the wedding the first thing you see him do he's at, he's attending a wedding at Canaan they ran out of wine and they and back then you know they weren't a bunch of wine bibbers that's kind of like iced tea back then for them that's what they had and so don't go off in left field and say Jesus was a wine bibber and you know if Jesus did it bless God I'm doing that's between you and the Lord but he he served these people he 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 turned the water into wine as an act of service to them. And he was always busy about the business of serving. And then his disciples, they were following him and he was, he would teach them about service. In fact, I love this one there. Jesus, uh, the crowds are everywhere and everyone's getting hungry. And Jesus told the disciples, uh, uh, what do we have to eat? And they said, well, we only have, we only have, this is Bible study time. We only have and two fishes. And the, here's the disciples' mindset. OMG. We're in trouble. These people are hungry. You send them away, Lord. 
Let me tell you something. What most people do when it comes time to serve, whew, let's figure out a way around this. Let's figure out a, a way around this. Oh, this is, this is looking too much. This, this is overwhelming. I've seen that in the nursery room. I remember one time we had somebody, you know, you put a round peg in a square hole. We had an overabundance of visitors and little children in a nursery. And one of our nursery workers who's not here right now and not here anymore, but uh, uh, they were bringing kids. And, she, and as I walked by, she stuck her head out and said, we can't take any more. <laughs> I went, ah, that's probably not good for business. Jesus was teaching his disciples, and that's kind of the way the disciples were. They're panicking. They're, they're panicking. They're going, oh, yeah, yeah, 500 or 5,000. That's probably plus the women and children. I don't know if they'd counted them. I don't know if you realize or not, ladies, but sometimes we just didn't count you back then. Does that make you feel bad? It should. Okay. So it could have been 10,000, but Jesus looked at his disciples and he began to teach them this principle of lifestyle of service. They're going, Jesus, you sent them away. This is overwhelming. We only have five loaves and two fish. And oh, by the way, uh, there's 12 of us here got to split this up and we robbed it from a kid. We took a kid's lunch. <laughs> Great disciples, man. Give me that lunch. What you got here? Woo, five loaves and two fishes. You see, I know what humanity. You think the disciples went, he has come and offered it up on the altar of sacrifice. And here, Lord, we lay before you these five loaves and two fishes. I don't think so. They were looking at it going, whoo, bless the Lord. And Jesus said this to his disciples to teach them this principle of service. Because he didn't come to be served. But to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You know, when, when I was growing up, you know what my daddy's mindset towards the kids were? Take an old cold tater and wait. Just wait, kids. Let the adults take their fill. And you can take an old cold tater and wait. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, take an old cold tater and wait. That's Charlie Walker. I wish he was still here to inspire you with his many different ways of letting you know uh, you had to wait for him. To, he would go to the Dairy Queen. I'm getting, I'm sorry, Amy, I don't know. We'd go to the Dairy Queen and he would say, I need four small cones and one gargantuan cone. <laughs> How'd it make me feel about my little bitty cone? Not too good. He, <laughs> he just, Charlie Walker, he was something else. Uh, and how'd I get off on him, Beverly? Can you get me back where I was going? The fishes and loaves, yeah. Uh, and so the disciple, and so he was teaching his disciples that, hey, it's more important. You are not the most important thing on planet earth. There are others that need our service and help. And he said, and he told his disciples, you give them something to eat. Serve somebody. It's your time to serve. You give them something to eat. He was teaching his disciples service. And they said, we only have five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus took them and he blessed them and he broke them. And you know, the miracle started happen. And you know what? You know what the disciples did? They ate last. It doesn't say that, but it says they began to, they, they began to pass it out. He set them down and they began to pass it out. And I can just see the disciples going, Oh, there's five loaves. Oh. 
but it began to multiply in their hands. Listen, let me just be, wax a little uh, 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 spiritual here today. If you'll just serve people with what you have, he'll multiply back to you. If you'll just be a servant and you'll give your time, energy, and talents, if you'll, if you'll give a few bucks in our, I guarantee you one thing today. You know, you know, you could, you know, the materials of a whole well is about $500. You could, you could buy a complete well. You could buy a whole trip, $5,000, but you could buy that one fitting right there, which is just as important as all the rest for $5. And I can guarantee your active service and giving, if you began to say, you know what, I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to serve somebody else. That's the one of the coolest things I like to get people to Agua and begin to, they start some of these big shot guys I take and I stick them down in the mud pit where they're down in the, in the ditch, just digging junk out of a, out of a mud pit that's just, and they get it up from head to toe. But the first day they're kind of, and then about the third day when they see the water, man, they just, let me back at that mud pit. Let me back, let me see those kids in their eyes when we start squirting them with water that they've never seen come out of the ground before. Whoo. You could buy a can of bug spray, for goodness sake, for the homeless people in Beaumont. want to serve people. Jesus lived a lifestyle of service. Most people are trying to figure out how to get serving, to, to be served. I've got a friend, I won't mention his name. He's a very wealthy man. He's retired now. And I see him all over Facebook serving missionaries and helping people, building churches, making a difference in the world. Jesus didn't come, and, and he could do anything. He could, he could, he, and he probably does, but listen, his heartbeat is that of service. If you want to live the life, if you want the abundant life that Jesus has for you, and most people do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a mediocre, mundane, kind of half-baked, kind of, you know, just survival kind of mode kind of life. I want to tap into that life that Jesus has for me, that abundant life. And if you're going to do that, if we're going to do that, we've got to live a lifestyle of sanctity. We've got to follow in the footsteps of the giver of life. And we say, I'm going to live a lifetime, lifestyle of sanctity and holiness before God. And I'm going to live a lifestyle of service. It's not about me. That's the first line of purpose-driven life. Uh, uh, it's not about you. Everybody say, it's not about you. Tell your neighbor, it's not about you. It's about others who need Christ. It's about people who need us to help them. It's about serving God and others. And so, so we've got to live a lifestyle of serving. Number three of, uh, in these seven insights of the lifestyle of the giver of life. Number three, Jesus lived a lifestyle of seeking. He was always searching. He was searching for two things. There's only two things Jesus was seeking in his life. I'm going to share them with you. How many of you want to know them? Anybody want to know them? I'm going to give them to you. There's two things. Number one, he sought God at the place of prayer all the time. He was always seeking God. You would think, why would he seek God? He's God in the form of human flesh. Uh, he was seeking God the Father. He was seeking to stay in right relationship with God the Father. And you would see him in his lifestyle of prayer. He would get up a great while before day. Somebody say, a great while before day. Come on now. Let me just say, let me give you some hope for the future. How many of you feel the age thing hitting you? 
I'm going to be 60 next month. 60 next month. My brain's still about 25. My body's about 70. And, and yes, I wish you could have been with me yesterday. I dug up holes in the yard with an inferior shovel with a repaired handle. In fact, I'm following one pipe out. I, I dug holes through roots in the tree. I dug it up, man. I'm going, I find this pipe. Then I realized that was the wrong pipe. <laughs> See, I'm getting distracted again. I'm going to talk about digging holes. But I'm up to, I'm digging holes and I'm, I'm, I'm wore out and I, I, I got, I, the, and I realize I'm an old man. I shouldn't be doing this. But let me tell you something about getting old. You just start naturally getting up earlier. Any, any you old people realize that? Now, that doesn't give you, you, you young folks an excuse. It's easy for me to get up in the morning and pray. I <laughs> just get up. You know, you know what the best part of waking up? Soldiers in your club and Jesus praying. Jesus got a great while before day. Listen, man, I got to be at work at six thirty. Well, get up thirty minutes earlier. Then somebody say, "Amen." Come on now. I'm your pastor. Can we talk here a second? You can't stumble out and think, "Hey, listen." If you don't find him in the morning, you'll be searching for him by afternoon. Hello, are you with me? Look at your neighbor and smile and say, he's talking to you too this morning. Hey, Jesus was always seeking God the Father. And then he, after walking miles and healing and, and, and serving and helping others, uh, he, he would come back and the Bible says he would go away even to the late evening and there he would pray. He would pray morning and he would pray. He was always praying. He was always seeking. Listen, a lifestyle of every person who is tapped into the abundant life that Christ has, they're always talking to God. They're in fellowship with God at the place of prayer. Some people pray, you know, my dad... Bless his heart. He would, he didn't have a lot to, to, to help me with early in his, in my life. In his latter years, he really helped me spiritually. But when he prayed for the food, he would say, bless it, got it, and hide it. Amen. That, the Lord never answered the last part of that prayer for me. It never hid. It always showed up at different times and places. But, uh, hey, Jesus was always seeking after God. Number two. What else do you think he was seeking? He was, thank you, Amy. See, it took a visitor from wherever you live now, Washington, to answer that question. Now, you be quiet. Let me ask you, everybody else. What else do you think Jesus... Oh, it's up there. Sorry. What else do you think Jesus was always seeking? He was seeking that which was lost. In fact, Jesus said this, the Son of Man doesn't come but for to seek and to save that which is lost. He's seeking that which is lost. In fact, could I tell you something about, we talked about Jesus' overarching uh, 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 reason for being. His own, He understood with great clarity the reason he was seeking and to say he was providing an avenue for other people to be born again. Listen, can I tell you, this is the reason you're still here. You're not still here just so to... to Living the life, living the life, and all that staying alive, staying alive, and to, and to take up space. You're not here just to take up space and to get all you can and can the rest. We're here because people need the Lord. 
There are people around us who are lost and without Christ. And we are his hands extended. Think about the great commission. He told us right before he left uh, to go into heaven. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What was he saying? People are lost and they need Christ. That's why you're still here. We've got to live the life of seeking. Seek God and seek lost people. If you want to know what to do, everybody say, you remember the age-old question? Who am I and why am I here? Everybody sound, anybody have your, let me ask you guys, does your wife have a pathetic voice? Ladies, does your husband have a pathetic voice? You know, when they just feel real pathetic, they go into, Nobody raised their hand, by the way. They just people, they don't, I ain't doing that. Who am I? Why am I here? You're here because people are lost. Do you know any lost people? You know what most believers do? Oh, there's those lost people again. Better stay away from them. They'll rub off on you. They smoke, chew, and go with the girls that do. Jesus hang around, hung around lost people. He didn't let them rub off on him. He rubbed off on them. He was the light of the world, for goodness sake. When you walk in a, into a, hey, when we walk into a room, it ought to light up with the joy and the gospel of Jesus. People ought to say, what in the world have you been drinking? Or what in the world have you been smoking? You say, hey, let me tell you, I've been born again. That's what they asked the disciples on Pentecost. You, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Why are y'all so giddy? <laughs> y'all are a little tipsy. No, we got the joy of the Lord in our heart. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And oh, by the way, Peter's going to stand up and preach in a minute and you're going to get born again. And they did. Jesus lived a lifestyle of seeking after God and seeking that which is lost. Amen. That's why we're still here. And then number four, and I'm going to close. Jesus lived a lifestyle of showing. This is important for you to embrace. True discipleship is much more than simply following somebody. You know, the, the, the word disciple means follower, but, but there's more to discipleship than just following someone. I, I am his disciple and I will follow him. That's all right and that's true. But uh, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, follow me. That's discipleship. Follow me and I will do what? I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, in other words, the process here is not just to be a follower of Christ. The process is to follow me to the point that your life is transformed, that the life that I live becomes your life and you become something that you are not. You follow me and I will transform you. I will make you into a fisher of men. I will make you into someone of of, of kingdom influence, someone who others, in, you, you'll influence others and they'll be born again too. 
And Jesus lived a lifestyle of showing. He was always showing. In fact, I love the teachings of Jesus. You need to read through the Gospels again if you and just see how he would teach. He would not. He wouldn't get up and start lecturing from a book. Uh, he he was the book, uh, and, and he would we'd walk through the through life, and he would say the fig tree, and and he would stop, and he, he would give a visual teaching about the the fig. He was showing the way. Oh, the seed, the, the sower in the soils, and he would use illustrations and, and, and his words and his actions would cause people to be able to see. Listen, Jesus was showing the way. Here's, oh, I've said this before. Let's say it together. Discipleship is not, it's knowing the way. Everyone say knowing the way. Going the way. And showing the way. It's not just knowing the way. It's not just going the way. Some people know the way, but they don't go the way. You gotta know the way and go the way. But let me tell you something. Just because you know the way and go the way, that's not the, the totality of the equation. That's not, it's showing the way. Listen, the reason you're here is because people are lost and people are, are scattered and people need someone to show them the way. Discipleship are much more than just following. And I gave you this, I'll give you this. I think I gave it on Facebook or Twitter or something. Here it is. Our journey's success will not be measured merely by our safe arrival, but on our multiplied influence upon others and their safe arrival. You get to the end of your days and go, woohoo, I made it. You need to look around and see who you brought with you. Because if you didn't bring anybody with you, if you didn't not only go the way, or know the way, go the way, and then show the way, if there's no fruit for your labors, you're going to get into heaven by the hair of your chinny chin chin. And I pulled a couple out this morning up around in the weird, you know, when you get older, you're about to say, hair grows in the weirdest places. Like, what was, I have a, I, I have up on the top of my ear about ever. I'll, I'll look in the mirror, everything's fine. The next morning, huh? where did that overnight? It just whoop, big, huge long. Old timey. Getting old. Listen, you get to the end of your days and you get into heaven by the hair of your chinny chin chin, and God's going to look for fruit. And He's going he's to reward us according to how we lived our life on planet Earth. And if the reason for our being is to, is to seek and to save that which is lost and to show people the way of living the abundant life in Christ, we gotta ask ourselves, who are we influencing? Jesus didn't say, follow me and I will get you to heaven one day. Obey me, bow down before me, and worship me. And one day, if you've been a good boy or girl, I'll come back and I'll take you to heaven. That's not the gospel. He said, follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men. Let me ask you today, who are you influencing for Christ today? Whose life is better because of your life? Who's different because of the the difference you made in their life? 
Listen, that's what the abundant life, one of the greatest joy. Oh, let me just tell you. Can I tell you one of the great, you know, as a pastor, Beverly and I have been in full, full-time ministry for a long time now. And, and there's been heartache. There's, there's trouble. There's, there, there's the, there's the, 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 just the, the stuff of, I've, I've seen, I've seen it all. I've seen people do some of the stupidest things. And make some of the worst decisions. I've, I've been to the bottom of the pit with folks. But let me tell you something. There's something that overwhelms all of that and makes it go. That's why we're here. When I see somebody who responds to the Word and lives it out. And then they're once young and now they're old. And they come back. In fact, I can tell you... A story. I was at a funeral of, I think it's Pastor Sonny's mom. And Sonny and I used to be in youth ministry together. And, uh, oh, Beverly, you can help me with his name. He was the torture of the youth group. And he was always doing something. It just, I can see his face, Beverly. Becky's son, brother, Jeff Ray. Jeff Ray, he was the kid in youth group. You just, when nobody's looking, I'm going to slap you right upside the head. And, and then if you tell somebody I did it, I'll just call you a liar. I never did that, Jeff Ray. Years go by. We're at a funeral. Amy, I appreciate this. Jeff Ray grabbed Sonny and I. With, whoo, tears running down his eyes. And he said, I just want to thank you too for putting up with me. But I got to tell you today that all the heartache I put you through and all the trouble, I was somehow listening. And I want to tell you today, I'm the Sunday school teacher at my church for the junior high boys. I said, God's punishing you. I didn't say that. I felt like it, but I... He made my heart get bigger. Because I realized somehow, someway, I made a little difference in old Jeffrey. Glad I didn't punch him out like I wanted. Probably had a little different discussion at the funeral. He probably punched me back. Listen, our journey's success will not be measured by our safe arrival, but upon our multiplied influence upon others and their safe arrival. Well, I influence my kids. Well, that's great. How about your work associates? How about your neighbors? How about your family? Some of the easiest people to influence. It's funny how we're scared of our family, but they're the most easy people to influence. Amen. In Him we live and move and have our being. John 20, I'll throw it out at you. Uh, the resurrected Christ. The disciples are in hiding for fear of the Jews. 
And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, walks into their world supernaturally. He didn't knock on the door, he just walked through the door. There he, oh, no. They had a revelation, they saw. See, what was Jesus doing? He was showing them something. I'm alive. And I love this phrase. This is, 20, this is when you know you got 2020 vision. The Bible says that disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Listen, people need a vision of Jesus. People need to see Him in us. Our journey success is not based upon our safe arrival. It's based upon our multiplied, multiplied influence on others. Listen, high schoolers, some of your best opportunity to make a difference is right there in school. Amen. We're living the life of the giver of life. Let me review and we're going to close. Jesus lived a life of sanctity. Everyone say sanctity. That means holiness and righteousness before God. He lived a life, number two, of serving. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He lived a life, number three, of seeking. He was always seeking two things. He was seeking God at the place of prayer. And he was seeking to save that which is lost. Let me just throw a little commercial in. In a couple of three weeks, we're going to begin a series. I don't exactly know where it's going to go, but it's called Let Us Pray. Everyone say, Let Us Pray. We see that everywhere on Christmas car. We just everywhere. Let us pray. At the dinner, let us pray. Everyone say it. Let us pray. But what we don't see a lot of is it acted out in reality. In fact, I'll give you a head start today. When you and your family and circumstances and situations, you're in a quandary. Anybody ever been in a quandary? Scott, you've been in a quandary. He's had a physical quandary. Let me just say, when you're in a when you, the this is what you, people do. As a last-ditch effort, well, maybe we should pray. But we need to just start as husbands and wives and family. Just say, well, say it. Let us pray. Everybody say, let us pray. And so you're going to hear more about that, and we're going to begin to pray. And in fact, that's going to be our mantra for about six weeks. Let us pray. That's why I brought this down. Hey, Pastor Sam's going to Mexico. Pastor Sam's going to Mexico. He's going to real water wells. Oh, watch Facebook. You might see some pictures. Pastor Sam's going to know. Let us pray. Amen. So with that in mind, let us stand together and do what? Let us, let us pray. Two minutes to 12. We've got time to pray. Fathers, we bow our heads before you today. We looked at the life that you lived. The life of sanctification, the life of service life of seeking Lord we thank you Lord for the life you lived and how we can live that life and how you showed us the way let us live that same life where we can show others where we can not only know the way and go the way but show the way let our life be a role model and example for others to follow don't let us be of those who have said, do as I say and not as I do. But Lord, let us be, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Father, we begin this day 
with the thought of you being the difference maker. Lord, I pray for these that are here today that your life, the life that you lived would be the difference maker in all of our lives. For all of us have come from different backgrounds, cultures, races, family traditions. But all of us have this in common. Lord, we need you to live and move and have our being. So regardless of where we came from, Lord, we come together to this place because we all need the Lord. Help us to follow you allow you to make a difference in our life. Help us, Lord, to lean into you and seek you with all our hearts. And to seek others who are lost and seek others who need a, someone to show them the way. And show us people to serve on a daily basis. Help our children grow up to be servants and not selfish. Help us not to be selfish, but to serve. Help us to follow you in your footsteps where others can see Jesus in us. And that others that in, we influence with our life be as the disciples were that day when they saw the resurrected Christ. Let the world around us be glad because they see Jesus in us.